0: The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Ho ho hello, and welcome to the annual O3C Christmas special. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined by minty chocolate baubles booth.
1: (laughs) Smelly Christmas. (laughs) And
0: holy Christmas figgy pudding dow. Christmas Crangles. And we are here to talk about video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we pull this Christmas cracker of an episode, let us first of all point you in the direction of our fairly recently new website, O3C.games. You can find all the episodes of the podcast, a Christmas shit-ton of video content, articles, (laughs) thoughts, reviews, and more. It's our marvellous vomitorium for all of our gaming brain spew and there's even space on there to help you if you're looking to support us o 3 slash support is where you'll find that information what information will you find there well links to directly share the website and the podcast on your social media platforms very helpful indeed links to give us a cheeky one-off donation via paypal even more helpful and uh, at the top of the supremely helpful mini league is the <laughs> link to our patreon page <laughs> patreon.com o3c games if you want to cut out the middleman and see exactly what perks are on offer in exchange for some scaling tiers of pecuniary support but the perks they're available to all smatterings of bonus episodes topped off with lashings of hot outtakes and deleted scenes and of course there is access to our Patreon exclusive Discord channel which is a wonderful community to be part of where you can engage with us directly and chat about the episodes, ideas for the future of the show and flim flam all the hot potato topics of gaming that you would wish for with us, the fellow Patreon subscribers and a shooting gallery of special guests from our previous season's bonus episodes. It's it really is a wonderful place to be. Do please have a look. Lovely. So, if it's good enough for the Muppets, Edmund Blackadder, and shitty village halls the country wide, then it's good enough for us here at O3C. Welcome to O3C's Christmas Carol.
1: Yeah, it's here. Christmas. We
0: are... Eber gamer Scrooge, and you are our <laughs> tiny Tim Tendos, as we see <laughs> the, the games of Christmas past, present and future to go on a veritable Buildings Roman, look it up, to heal our grouchy complexions and fall in love with humanity once again.
1: Sure. Very nice.
0: <laughs> oh, is that coming first to our doors in the middle of the night? It is the games of Christmas past, a spectre of conversational starters asking us about the games that we've received as gifts over the years that were only greeted by our scorn and contempt we'd rather have a lump of coal you shit we cried (laughs) and whilst we're in our cantankerous state we're sending a warning out to friends and family of those games we definitely do not want to receive this christmas minty please spew your bile
1: okay so the fault is entirely my own for receiving this game because um, because I, I asked, asked for, for it. it. Yes, <laughs> I've I, I've never sought to own a quantity of video games. Like I'm not a collector. I don't I don't really like the idea of spending money on something that I don't know if I'm going to enjoy. So that's that's not just something that's limited to games though. I mean, all my clothes are black, and for the past six years, I've only ever ordered the burger at every restaurant I've been to. You <laughs> know what I like, and I'm happy playing it safe. This outlook does mean, however, that I'm quite susceptible to the port and the remake. I know this about myself now, and have been able to sack off the uh, the Gen 4 Pokemon remakes with no trouble, as a recent example. But younger me, <laughs> I was mad for him. I was mad for Doom as well. Love it. Doom and Doom 2 are both quite high in my list, and probably the games I've played most over the years, thinking about it. Like, I can happily sink hundreds of hours into a JRPG and then never play it again. But Doom has been consistent throughout my whole gaming life. And nowadays, it's it's kind of hard not to play Doom, really. (laughs) It's everywhere. Yeah. What with such things as re-releases, wads, fan games made on the engine, calculators and pregnancy tests? You could have played Doom today (laughs) and not even known it. But (laughs) one particularly disappointing port of the game was on the Game Boy Advance.
2: Aww. The history
1: of the Game Boy Advance game is an interesting one, because apparently the studio that developed it, David A. Palmer Productions, they wanted to make Doom on the Game Boy Color instead, and id Software told them to remake Commander Keen and uh, and then get back to them. Commander Keen was a success, it did push back the development of Doom for GBA into the life cycle of the Game Boy Advance. So they built a custom 3D graphics engine for the console, but then it found the Atari Jaguar source code and then told them to use that instead. And uh, the titular Palmer thinks that the version they had to release was inferior to the one that would have been. And he's probably right, to be honest. I asked for Doom for the Game Boy Advance for Christmas. And after spending a good six or seven years previous playing the PC version to death, I was excited to have the exact same experience in my hand (laughs) wherever and whenever I fancied playing. Provided I was huddled up in the smallest ball possible at one end of the sofa directly under the big lamp. (laughs) It was not the exact PC experience, and looking back, I realised I shouldn't have expected it to be, really. I mean, the the Game Boy Advance, it was a stout little punter, but it couldn't really do first-person shooters that well. That's okay. Like... It was still fun and a decent achievement, even if it did have all the missing content. It's just a little bit disappointing. So naturally, the year after that, I asked for the Game Boy Advance port of Doom 2 for Christmas. I thought to myself, (laughs) it's been a year. They'll have learnt how to properly optimise the game to get the entire unfettered game onto that tiny cart, surely. And it was nearly identical. It was built on an entirely different engine than the PC original. It gave a bit of insight into what uh, the original Doom could have been. But this is about Christmas disappointments. Chris appointments. <laughs> so here's my gripe. My favorite map in Doom 2 is map 28, the Spirit World. Uh, it's a weird one, really weird map. So it's sprawling and odd. It's hellish and strange. It's got a fantastic music track. And it was one of two that was cut from the Game Boy Advance Uh, version. I broke my heart, but I'm still very grateful to have received both of these games. But I have to say the experience was not all that it could have been.
2: I didn't play it at the time. I played Doom on the Game Boy Advance later. And, and without kind of the weight of expectation that you may have had, Minty, I, I always quite enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, but yeah. But also, it was one of the first times I'd really got that far into the game. So I, I probably wouldn't have noticed anything missing anyway. Oh. So especially Doom 2. I, I never played Doom 2 at all until um, the Switch port. So uh, I would have been none the wiser. I would have mm. just enjoyed it happily and said, thank you, Father Christmas, for this, this small <laughs> handheld bounty. <laughs> yeah. Less
0: doom, more boon. Whoa. <laughs> Speaking of uh, expecting a PC experience uh, replicated on a handheld device, I believe I've spoken before about one particular Christmas where <laughs> I'd made the superb double bill demands to Santa to receive a CD of ABBA covers and a copy of Carmageddon on the Game Boy Color. I did in truth enjoy the Abomania CD and I did my absolute best to convince myself that I was enjoying Carmageddon on the Game Boy as I, in severe inverted commas, recreated the gameplay that I love so much on the PC version. For my sins, I've still got my copy of that cartridge and uh, I, I feel I should probably wear it as a lodestone around my neck. Uh,
1: maybe it
0: would have, maybe it'd stop me buying balloon Wonderworld or something. But I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on that anymore because I feel I've done my due diligence in expressing my regret and repenting for that. So in terms of a game I wouldn't want for Christmas, I think this comes down to another gift I got in the past. This was from an ex-girlfriend that just showed her supreme lack of understanding of, I mean, just video games and my interest in them. I think, you know, she'd seen me playing things like Elder Scrolls, I guess it would have been Oblivion back then, and Pokemon on my DS, and then saw a World of Warcraft calendar and thought, that's a game, he'd like that for Christmas. He's probably into that sort of shit <laughs> i mean bless her for trying but i think that the three of us are quite comfortably sitting outside of the mainstream with our gaming interests yeah and, and even those stereotypical world of warcrafters are probably rank outsiders as well i think that anything that really sums up video gaming for most of the world is just never going to be of real interest to us I mean, the amount of AAA titles we've played versus the wealth of indie games we've discovered and, and enjoyed shows a, a, a vast difference in our predilections. So I think if anyone knows me and thinks, oh, he likes those uh, video games, doesn't he? He'd probably like this Fortnite t-shirt or this Call of Duty something or other. Just just don't worry about it. Get me a voucher. <laughs> Give
1: me a high five. <laughs> Buy me a sandwich. Yeah.
2: Chris? Over the years, I've probably been given a lot of games for Christmas because it has been my sole hobby almost since I was a a young child, but less so in the last decade because most of my family and friends are aware that I now buy things so obsessively that it's probably quite hard to pick something I haven't already grabbed. But still, to keep the the good times flowing, I've resorted to giving people a curated list of titles around November (laughs) that I then hold off buying just in case. Because then if someone does, like my mum, want to get me a gaming gift... I know for certain that it won't already be on the shelf. Yeah, <laughs> But, you know, th- there's loads of titles I remember getting specifically at Christmas that were really good. So there was the year I got The Lion King and Comic Zone and at least two others, I think, for the Mega Drive. Uh, And that was a a huge highlight. And one that I know there's a photo of somewhere where I'm holding the bounty like a fan of cards. (laughs) Like I can visualize the photo, but I I don't know where it is now. (laughs) Obviously the Christmas where I got the PlayStation 2 was an all-timer as well. But the most disappointing though, I think was when I got my original yellow Game Boy, I received Super Mario Land and Super Mario Land 2 because they were in like a bundle pack with the machine nice. and they were both great. But I also got the handheld port of Worms, oh, wow. which was not great. So this this has a weird connection to both Carmageddon and Doom, I guess, in that it's, it's about having the wrong expectations for something. <laughs> so, you know, these days as an adult, I find ports really fascinating because you can look at them kind of objectively and think, okay, well, what's been changed? What, what they had to downgrade or alter to to fit on very different hardware? But at the time, I think I genuinely believed that a monochrome 8-bit handheld was going to do justice to a game i had been playing on my friend's cutting-edge PC. (laughs) And, you know, the graphics on the Game Boy are serviceable. They're in black and white, obviously, but they they do the job. You can see there's a worm, there's a bit of land, (laughs) there's a weapon. The sound is barren to the point of non-existence in places. And the core mechanics do do function, though there are limitations. But what was most upsetting to me as a child about this, this little gift that I was so excited to unwrap was the lack of cartridge save. And, and again, Chris in 2021 understands how a cartridge game is built, I know that some have SRAM, which is short for Save Random Access Memory, and that's a battery-backed chip, and it saves and restores progress or whatever. Some games might use passwords, which would save on production costs, but obviously you need to then write it down, and some do neither. And Chris in the mid-90s did not understand this suite of options, and so I would sit for a long time painstakingly entering all my little, you know, worm names, letter by letter, play a few games, switch off the machine, and then get really upset when the names and stats were gone, And I couldn't understand why. (laughs) Like I have have a really vivid memory of sitting on my bed surrounded by all my Christmas wares, repeating this process of naming and then playing and then resetting and then despairing because I genuinely believed the game or the console was faulty. And as a child, this wasn't helped by the time that I switched the machine off and on again quick enough that the data was still in the RAM and thus reappeared straight away. And that convinced me. It was like, oh, it must be broken then because it worked that time. It's, 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 there's some inconsistency and it must be broken. But no, that wasn't the case. It just, it just doesn't save. So at the time, I felt devastated. Even though I could happily play a game of worms, I could happily play Super Mario Land 1 or 2. And obviously, it wasn't the end of the world. But to uh, a wee little version of myself, it did feel like it. So that was probably the most disappointing Christmas gift that I I remember in a gaming way. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor.
0: And now a word from our sponsor. The O3C podcast is part of the HyperX podcast network. HyperX is our sponsor and the maker of the acclaimed Quadcast and Quadcast S microphones. Quadcast USB mics look and sound amazing and they're packed with features. With four selectable polar patterns you'll get great sound no matter what you're recording. The included shock mount and pop filter mean you won't have to shell out extra cash for a great setup. Then there's the eye-catching LED indicator and tap-to-mute sensor, so you can tap in and tap out to stop broadcast accidents. It's time for you to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast and Quadcast S. I don't like being negative, so in a bid to heal our miserly hearts, to uh, satiate the whims of the games of Christmas present, what we've done is... We've decided to scrape the insides of our wallets and target some games that you can get on the enormously bloated Nintendo eShop on the Nintendo Switch for mere pennies. You don't need to be shelling out the big bucks to buy FIFA Ultimate Team credit and £150 deluxe editions to enjoy the Christmas gaming season. You can still cling to your inner Scrooge and find an excellent time. So we each picked a game that you could get for less than 99 Christmas pennies and we've all played them to give you our verdicts on the best way to spend your spare coffers this Christmas. And first up, we have chris to tell us about a game called overlanders
2: overlanders is one of the titles that if you've ever browsed an eShop sale this is on there <laughs> <laughs> it, it is honestly if you miss it in the christmas sale don't worry it'll be on. It'll, it'll be on sale by about january the 12th <laughs> like it's it's not a problem i don't think it's possible to talk about overlanders without comparing it to star wars episode one racer uh, yeah and uh it's, it's not as good uh but i can you know, I, I can comfortably say that. It's, it's not as good, but it's decent enough. And when it's at this sale price, which is frequently, like I've just mentioned, it gets a, a soft recommendation from me for the content you get and the fun that you may have. Like it's a, fu- <laughs> it's, it's a futuristic racer. You pick from a selection of hover car, bike, hybrid things. You steer with the left analog stick. You can pull tighter turns by combining it with the right analog stick. And it tries to set itself apart from the competition like F-Zero or Star Wars uh, Episode 1 Racer or Extreme G or Fast RMX by changing how many of its races work. So they still take place across looping tracks like you'd normally expect. But outside of the first few tutorial races, you're not aiming to complete X amount of laps. Instead, you and the other races are pursuing some big beastie and the race ends whenever this big beastie has been taken down. So when said big Beastie falls to the floor, that's when the rankings are set. So if if you are in first when it dies a death, you take the top spot and and so forth. Now that was interesting enough. Like looking at the traders and things, it seemed like oh that's that's gonna that's gonna you know innovate a little bit, make this game more enjoyable or, or certainly a bit different. And I don't have a problem with it in concept, but when it's introduced in game, it feels like I don't know. It's it's enough of a tweak to set Overlanders apart from its contemporaries and its forebears but it doesn't always work that well in execution. (laughs) Because for a start, the tracks are a bit too tight. Like episode one racer, for anything people did or didn't like about that game, it at least had the sense to realize that having loose floaty controls needed wide tracks to accommodate. So there's a lot of open space in that game with, with the odd little tunnel, but often you're just like funneling through it in a straight line. There's not that many tight turns to pull. Whereas a lot of overlanders takes place in, in really cramped areas or, or little kind of like, you know, holes in, in rock faces and whatever. And that has the knock on then of making you crash frequently, which in turn means you fall behind the pack. And then the racers in first are naturally the ones that are taking shots at Big Bill or whatever we're going to call the monster that you're chasing. <laughs> so equally, though, on the reverse, sometimes you can have a stinker of a game for four laps and then just get lucky enough to zip past everyone with a smooth bit of cornering and then get the final shot despite having had zero impact on the monster wrangling to that point. So it's it's weird. It feels like a real capitulation of the Mario Kart rubber banding thing, but it just seems to do a much poorer job at disguising what's going on in the background than, than say, Mario Kart does. So as a game, I don't dislike it. It's not my favourite. <laughs> it, it, it looks okay on the Switch. Uh, it does suffer from that awful textures taking a while longer than geometry to load oh, problem yeah. that that you know it plagued a lot of games in the 360 and ps3 era due to just ram bottlenecks and and the switch as the the weakest console available right now still has that issue but for a quid though like i mentioned at the top you'll get a couple hours out of it you might you might see it through to the end of the campaign and really enjoy it just don't pay the insane £20 sterling it usually retails for because you will not feel the value here if you do. But yeah, what, what did you two think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you just said. I think it's uh, it doesn't make any bones about the fact that it's a, a you know a riff on episode one racer which is 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 great i played the you know the switch port of that not too long ago but yeah I, th- I think yeah it felt nice enough to play i quite i like the sort of twin stick approach to like taking tighter corners and stuff like that it felt like i had the sort of control and after a few sort of races and stuff i felt like i felt a bit more comfortable racing around the like you said the the, the quite tight courses obviously it lacks the franchise charm and the variety that you get if you set a game in the star wars world but it's yeah it's nice enough i quite like that the the concept of the sort of the the monster hunting chasing concept i think that's quite cool i think that it could be i think there's a lot more that could be done with that because after a while it's just like it's just a different way of showing a countdown clock (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know yeah i didn't check to see whether or not it's got couch co-op or split screen i'd be amazed if it can do split screen
2: co-op and, and and still perform i think it has multiplayer it does have multiplayer online because i i accessed that by accident and then just sat in an empty <laughs> lobby not realizing that that wasn't the single player game oh, Right. <laughs> so i did that for a few minutes and i was like i think i've done something wrong here and then backed out and paid a <laughs> bit more attention but yeah I, yeah I i don't know if it's if it's um couch multiplayer as well minty how did you get on with it i mean
1: it was fine wasn't it it's just perfectly agreeable pod racing clone i mean i don't know how to explain it it's a little bit more sort of uh, floaty and sort yeah of <laughs> than, like other spacecraft racing games like your f-zero your fast remix um and pod racer itself i don't know it just had a nice floatiness to it and the monster stuff is cool as well i, I do quite like that but yeah, just a completely fine racer, isn't it? You get your pennies
2: worth for sure. Is its is it 79p or is it 99p? I can't remember what the value was.
1: I'm
0: not sure. The annoying thing is if you go back onto the eShop to
2: check, it just says, oh, you have bought this. Yeah, mm. but it's under a pound anyway. And, uh, you know, I spend more than that on a chocolate bar when I treat myself at the local shops. <laughs> yeah. so, and, and that lasts less time. <laughs> that is true.
0: That is true. There's loot packs I saw available in the game so you can buy, spend real money on... I don't think think you
2: can spend real money. Can you not? I I did look into that. I think it's purely just in-game currency, but it's presented in a way that then all unlockables are just on a roulette wheel, essentially. Yeah. Which is um, odd. I don't know if they had grand intentions to implement some sort of microtransaction type thing and then just bottled it. Uh,
0: Possibly. Possibly. I mean, if they put this on, like, iPhone and Android, surely they'd make it free to play and have loot boxes.
2: Yeah. I just see a
0: very interesting option... In the options, uh, you can put it onto conserve battery, which restricts it to thirty frames per second in handheld mode. And I, I didn't think it reached (laughs) thirty frames per second. (laughs) I don't think it reaches
2: thirty in docked ever. No,
0: I mean if it does, I mean the the resolution is um, meagre. I'll say that much. I thought. I thought at first that I'd. I'd accidentally instead of putting on my glasses, I'd just put on two tubs of Vaseline. <laughs>
2: Looking through the base of a pint glass. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Well, there we go. There we go. The verdict on Overlanders is um, it, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> I would say that is a is a definitively average game. It's a that's a five out of ten game. Balon Wonderworld. It's, it's significantly better than Balan Wonder Wonderworld. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, we have uh, a game that caught my eye, and this was a colourful little puzzle game called Urban Flow. And it's easy, I say it's a puzzle game. It's it's sort of a puzzle action type thing. Anyway, it puts you in charge of uh, traffic lights across. Uh, busy intersections in a in a bright little toy box city, and you have to manage the stop-start nature of the junctions to allow a series of cars and trains, emergency services, uh, bicyclists, couriers, stuff like that, to cross safely until you fill your quota of safely crossed things and you f- you finish the mission. Now. I don't know about you, but road rage is definitely a real thing in my life. I've been (laughs) significantly more aware of it since having a little baby in the car. And inevitably, I drive a lot slower, a lot more patiently, which has subdued my road rage considerably. I mean, it's practically eliminated it, but it has made me more aware of others and their stupid, Driving and this especially (laughs) comes into play at traffic lights, busy intersections, other places of heavy foot and wheel fall in a city. And Urban Flow does a marvelous job at recreating that level of stress. (laughs) So it may not quite be uh, what you're after during your Christmas break, but it is a very well made little arcade. Action puzzle game that, you know, it really keeps uh, your brain on its toes as you try and multitask your way through the chaos. R- it reminded me a little bit of a couple of early iPhone games. Two games that I had that I played a lot of that were both airport yes. set. One was called Flight Control, yes. which saw you try to manage the flight paths of an airport runway system by drawing the planes' paths on your screen to help them avoid collisions and land safely. And then there was a similar game called Airport Mania which saw you juggle the on-runway traffic of an airport. Both both fantastic games that were brilliantly suited uh, to the touchscreen, but Urban Flow, it, it, it's it's a game that it it feels like it's been built with a touchscreen control system in mind, and I'm surprised that it hasn't actually had uh, a port over to the iPhone, or, actually, or I'm even more surprised that it's not a Switch port from those, to be honest, because at the moment it's a Switch exclusive, but you know it it doesn't lose anything using button controls if you're playing in dock mode or if you just prefer to use buttons in handheld mode it's got a very clear control system so you'll have like an intersection with a few different sets of traffic lights the button that corresponds to each traffic light is hovering over the top of it you press it to toggle it on or off thankfully there's a colorblind assistance mode in the menu which turns symbols on because otherwise it's just red and green which would have meant the game was just an immediate write-off for <laughs> me because um, I, I, I could not tell. <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference between them. <laughs> Fortunately they'd seen that and, uh, and fixed that before it became a problem so well done. But there's lots of puzzle stages with uh, specific setups. There's also an endless mode as well. There's even a drop-in drop-out local co-op mode for up to four players and I mean, there really is, it, there is a very satisfying moment of calm that you can find in amongst managing the chaos when everything is running smoothly, and it's it's quite lovely. And when you start to feel like you've got a handle on it, then it's, it's, it's like when we've played like Overcooked or something like that. When you feel like you've got your method down and you're like, oh, this plan's working, this is great, and then something will happen to absolutely throw you off course. Generally, though, I find urban flow really triggers a very stressful series of nerve endings in my already (laughs) anxious brain so it's it's probably not one that will get a huge amount of playtime with me unless you know the particular mood takes me but it's on sale until the 29th of december and it's 89p at the moment which is down from about 15 pounds so i mean it's a great time to grab a switch exclusive if this style of game appeals to you I have a feeling because of its arcade nature chris you you probably will have enjoyed it and also because it feels more like a maybe more like a tablet game maybe that was your entry point for you minty Hmm. uh how did you guys get on with it minty
1: i'm actually learning to drive at the moment and this a bit like uh, what you said about um getting into that into that into that calm state of mind that zen mode uh, where everything is just sort of flowing nicely, and you can and you can nail a nail a nice little sequence. When that when when you do nail it, you nail it, and it feels fantastic. But <laughs> God, it's whew, just like driving in real life. There is so much, yeah, <laughs> to. Keep your eye on, and it's. I'm finding it a little bit stressful as well. But I, st- I, I, I do like it actually. It's um, I like the art style of it. I like how it's mm. it is like the little, really uh, the little matchbox racers. Yeah, it, it is nice. Um, uh, like you, I, I can't say that I will play it too much more than, than I have at the moment, just because I don't think I'm in the place where I can enjoy vehicular excitement um, <laughs> any more than I should at the moment. But
2: Only what is necessary. Yeah, for 89p.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm having enough of it in real life at the moment, so um, this is fine. I haven't crashed in real life yet, though. Well so done. having the option, I'd rather do it in this game than... Uh, than in real life,
0: like when you come to do your practical test and they say, "Have you got your theory pass paper?" Just, just show them me a save file on Urban Flow.
1: Well, yeah, I yeah. assume
0: you mean this.
1: Oh shit, you have got um, three stars on level seven. <laughs> 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 don't even t- don't. Here you go. Here's your driving license. It's gold. <laughs> it's got three stars on so, the top. That's so how it works.
2: Yeah.
1: Chill. You know I have a car as well. Fuck it.
0: My very first driving lesson. He said, "Have you driven before?" And I genuinely said, "No, but I'm really good at Mario Kart." And, um, and that was a long week. Mm -hmm. Chris, how did you find it?
2: (laughs) Well, as as an aside first, Nintendo recently allowed you to check your own personal year and review stats. And it lets you know the games you put the most hours into. But more interesting to me was that it tells you the percentage of time you play the Switch docked versus handheld. Mm. And I was unsurprised, I guess, to see that I played docked almost 85% of the time, Mm. which is basically the value that I touted before as an estimation. But it means that a game like Urban Flow... I put it on the TV and I just, I know it's got the button controls and they're, they're functional, but you need to use a touchscreen really to get any proper fun out of this. But generally, because that's not the way I play my Switch, even standing up to walk the two yards over to the Switch to pick it up and try it (laughs) in in my hands. I was like, I just can't be bothered. I really can't be bothered. So instead I, I struggled through a few stages where it's like, I, I found it really tough. So I, I came close to failing the first stage. I did fail the second stage multiple times because it's just, I'm just, I'm not connecting with it in the same way. And I'm sure if I'd actually put the time into playing it properly with it in my lap and, you know, tapping away at the screen, I would have enjoyed it a lot more because there's a lot of game here. You know, it's it does have that feeling, like you mentioned, Jonathan, of almost being like a mobile title because it's got that high score for each stage and you're aiming to get more stars and everything like that. I quite enjoy that sort of progression, normally. Hence, why Angry Birds was on my list and, and things like that. Mm. But, but being really honest, I, I just I just couldn't <laughs> couldn't get the effort to be bothered with this one right now. And and it is a shame because I like the basic premise. I, I, I've written in my notes here that it reminded me of Flight Control, oh, so nice, it was yeah. another another game that yeah, it, it definitely lit that little bulb in the back of my head. So that I've not played that for a very long time. But yeah, it just for being on a console, it then gains this level of bloat that makes it more difficult to enjoy whereas flight control was in essence just a high score game and you never had to do any more than just look at the screen and swipe and tap and yeah there's just a bit more effort that goes into playing urban what's it called <laughs> urban Fly. a bit more effort a bit more effort that goes into playing urban flow properly urban can't be fucked one of the difficulties is, as well is that i play across multiple consoles uh, and have done for a lot of years now. And despite the fact the Switch is probably the machine I play the most, I don't know what the buttons are called on the Switch. Uh,
0: yeah, so no, I, I understand. It, if, yeah, that.
2: So if me and Georgia are playing a game together and she says, oh, what button does this? I'm like, oh, it's triangle. I've I've, I've used exclusively the PlayStation symbols as shorthand for a long time. Uh, okay. if, if that was the case on the screen where it was like, oh, that junction is triangle, I bet I would have enjoyed it more. <laughs> because I, I just, it was like, what's A and B? What's A and B? Because A and B on this is not the same as it is on the Xbox. It's not the same as it is on on any kind of third-party pad. So it's bits like that just, yeah, it just brought it down for me. And I'm not saying it's a bad game. I I think it's a a decent game, but one that I just didn't put the right amount of uh, effort into. So I apologise. But, you know, it's worth less than a quid. Well, it's definitely worth less than a quid.
0: Yes, it definitely is. And I think that there's people... I, I think I think that it's a good game. I think it's a well-made game. I think it's a well-thought-out game. I think if you like that particular style of game, then you'll have a fantastic time with it. So, yes, I, I, I think it's better than Overlanders. So out of the two of those, so far, Urban Flow would, would get my pick. But there's a third game. Whoa. We have Minty's Pick, which is a game called... Cyber Protocol,
1: Minty, over to you. Cyber Protocol is really cool. <laughs> I really like it a lot. Uh, it's it's an arcade puzzler, which I I get I I it isn't usually um, the sort of game that I would go for, but I do like this sort of uh, the sort of retro futuristic uh, feel of games like this, and and I'm a sucker for games where you have to help a friend. <laughs> so the idea of Cyber Protocol is you're you're playing some sort of I don't know some sort of hacker, who's activating the cyber protocol to bring his robot friend back to life, which um, I think is... It's a tale as old as time, and it certainly is a very Christmassy one.
0: Jesus. No, <laughs> yes. <that's> Easter. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. Basically, the, the basic premise of the game is it's like it's like a sliding block puzzle inside a robot's brain. <laughs> so you, you play a little like microchip. It goes... Shoop, to go left, down, across up you only stop when you hit a wall and there are little things to get along the way big things and little things which i assume are points that you can use to build your robot back in the best possible way and then it starts to add things like um, like tiles that blow you up if you linger on them too long um, huge beams of light that'll just fry you in a single direction different things like holograms or one way blocks things that need a key card all that sort of thing so it, it, it the intensity builds up at a fair pace i have to say I'm only, I'm only on level 10 which i think is the last level of the of the first chapter so i'm hoping i might get a nice little cutscene after this showing me how uh how I'm doing with getting my little friend back to life.
0: Keep that cutscene away from your wife, unless you want it thoroughly <laughs> skipped. Mm, yes, yes. That's a callback to last week's episode.
1: Hopefully, uh, I'm not going to be uh, marrying this robot. Well. We shall, yeah, we shall see. I mean, it's the future; anything can happen. <laughs> a little detail before I uh, hand it over that I really do like is um, I, I I don't I don't quite know how to explain it, but you know, you know, you know, old tellys. Oh yes, they, they used to be like.
0: Fat, (laughs) like a cloud. Yeah, that's an even deeper cut uh, Uh, as a callback.
1: They didn't always used to go on the wall. You had to have like a proper like arm coming out of the wall for them because they weren't because they weren't flat. It was more like a box than it was a flat screen, (laughs) and they were always slightly round. The screen weren't they?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, because it's a it's a sort of a beveled glass front, so you get a so you get a natural curvature to it.
1: Yes, yes, the natural curvature of the bevel. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the name of your autobiography. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> the natural curvature of the bevel, mm. the minty booth story.
1: Well, even though the switch and most TVs I assume these days are flat, the screen that like the the graphics themselves, they do sort of have that a very slight curvature so it does feel like you're playing mm. on an old telly uh it's it, it's a nice little touch and uh, it's yeah it's, it's it's good fun i think it was originally 8.99 so perfectly reasonable price for an arcade puzzle like this i assume i assume i'll get to the end of it i'm having i'm having a lot of fun with it
0: i love the art style of the game it's like it's like somebody's put tron in a photocopier <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looks like to me. Hmm. And its it's got a very, very simple core gameplay mechanic. Like you said, it is that sliding block puzzle type thing. Like if you're in a, an ice cave in Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, or <laughs> doing one of those, fill the whole room with the box puzzles in Zelda or something like that. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's taking that as the core mechanic and just getting really cool with it. Every few levels, there's a new... There's a new mechanic introduced and keeps you on your toes, keeps you thinking. It's very, very satisfying to play. It looks great, it sounds great, it feels great to play. I'm playing it handheld with my new Binbok split controller that I bought on the recommendation of you, yep. Minty, after you wrote that lovely article for the website, o3c.games, and I bought a proper 90s retro transparent. Uh, controller set oh very nice and that's lit up then it with purple leds i have it on at the moment Yeah. and that, com- that combined with the oled screen and cyber protocol on the screen it makes for a fantastic gaming experience i must say it's far and away my favorite game of the three i think yeah. it's I oh yes yeah. it's, it's it's brilliant i think it's i think it's great value at full price and you'd be a fool not to buy it at wise on sale chris how did you get on with it are you going to be mr misery guts again? He's gone. Well, <laughs> moving on. Um... <laughs> uh, no, Cyber Protocol. It's
2: actually the third game I've played in this weird Pac-Man maze subgenre. genre I, d- I don't know what you'd call it. Like, like mm. you said, Minty, the action puzzler is probably pretty apt. Uh, I believe it's Tron in a the photocopy. Uh, there's a really good game <laughs> on mobile originally called Tomb of the Mask. And that's the first time I, I saw this. In, in action, essentially, that works the same way that you move until you hit a wall, there's other obstacles that get added, everything else. And that game is, is really good. It's based around endless runner style grinds, daily challenges, you know, everything that fits kind of a mobile game. Really addictive, very polished. It had a sort of futuristic ZX spectrum color scheme, which is flashy, but, but functional because the contrasting colors really help highlight hazards, really good. And then the other one more recently is actually a game called Old Towers on the Evercade. And it's not as flashy as Tomb of the Mask or Cyber Protocol, obviously. It is a modern title, but because it's built for Mega Drive hardware, it's a bit more humble. But it is still very fun, and it uses this same kind of sliding mechanic. Cyber Protocol, I think, is, is a very good game. My only real criticism is that it layers on complications to the main format a bit too quickly for me. That The difficulty spikes within the first five levels, really. I mean that getting a perfect run and collecting everything without dying in a single go starts to get quite hard quite fast. Um, And, you know, maybe that encourages you to, to knuckle down and play more and get better. But I do think in all games, there's like a sweet spot for how to manage ramping difficulty. And I think this is just a tiny bit too fast. Like, by contrast, to show how games can get it wrong the other way, Hot Wheels Unleashed that I've been playing that I mentioned the other week, the single player mode at least, is way too easy for most of the campaign. Like you, you're about 30 races in and you can still walk every single race to a podium finish. <laughs> you know, I, I think games should have a good, like 20 minutes of feeling good and then developers start sort of turning the screw, make it a bit tougher. But yeah, three hours in Hot Wheels, too much. One way, three minutes in Cyber Protocol, maybe too much the other way. <laughs> but but I did like it. And, and of the three games, I think this, this is definitely my favorite. Maybe at full price, you have to be kind of interested in you know, arcadey puzzler action games. But even so, maybe just the genre and the aesthetic is enough to kind of draw you in. But on a sale, I think it's a very good buy. There's, there's a lot to do. There's a decent amount to get better at once you've got over that initial hump of kind of the opening section. But this is this is the real caveat. Browsing the big eShop sale the other day, of which there are currently almost two and a half thousand games on sale. Two and a Mask is on the Switch now. And I saw that and I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. I'll just sort of compare it. And and it's just better. No. <laughs> it is better. It's currently half price in the sale to about the same time. So I think it's about four pounds. Because I think normally it's it's about eight. So it is more expensive. But this week I've easily put the same time into this port of Tomb of the Mask as I did on Cyber Protocol. And and I think it's absolutely worth that price for, for this tarted up console edition. Like it's got a lot more content, it's got a level-based mode as well as the endless mode. And and given the choice of either Cyber Protocol for a quid or Team of the Mask for four or five, I think it's a harder recommendation when you know you've got both to have a look at. Like, it's it's not in any way saying Cyber Protocol is a bad game, but I think it really is a clear copy and reskin of Team of the Mask in the same way that Overlanders is to Star Wars Episode One Racer, that Urban Flow is to Flight Control. You know, I, I think what we're really seeing in, in this whole kind of experiment is that the lower you go in price the more developers are kind of cribbing from other titles because all three of these games for, for, you know, each has had their strengths, but they all have elements that are quite derivative based on something else. Mm. So it's not saying there's not fun to be had in these titles, but there is probably another game that is very similar and for a few pounds more might be a bit more fun. So it's, it's finding the balance of kind of like, well, how, how low do you want to go? And, you know, how high are you prepared to go to maybe have a slightly, slightly more refined take on it? But yeah, a good game. So I will end positively and I will agree that of the three, this is certainly the one to buy if you've got a, a spare pound in your pocket.
0: So there we go. Those are our musings on how you can still enjoy gaming this Christmas without showing out the big bucks. Let us know if you have any recommendations that you found on other systems or indeed on the eShop. Let us know if uh, you pick up any of these games uh, or if you've played them and you've g- given them a good old Christmas go. We're always on the lookout for uh, for more recommendations, especially with the state of digital storefronts being so bloated it's so difficult to you know to discover new things so yeah if you find any gems let us know and and we'll give it a go so with our horrid horrid hearts humbled by the bounty of cheap and cheerful games let us turn to the games of christmas future and what we've done is we've all picked a game that we think would make a lovely hypothetical gift for someone to put us into the kind, generous spirit that truly befits this magical time of year. And I'm, I'm going to kick us off with this one. And uh, my, my plans were slightly scuppered uh, because I had this... When I started writing my notes for this about a week ago, I had this idea that I was going to gift a copy of uh, FIFA 22 to Mikel Arteta, the (laughs) Arsenal manager, to show him my suggestion of how he should structure the team, what signings and sellings he should make. But given that he appears to have given Aubameyang the dump and we've been playing very, very well and winning our last few games, I don't quite have the pressing need to throw my managerial hat into the ring. Having said that, I still hope he gets rid of Enketia in this transfer (laughs) window, as he's about as useful as a wet piece of tissue. His last two attempts at putting the ball over the line, whilst he and it are on the line, only resulted in one incredibly clumsy (laughs) goal. I don't understand where the praise for him or his potential is coming from. So get rid of Ober and Nketiah and get in a good promising couple of strikers. I would love to see the Danish player Mikkel Damsgaard uh, come to our team and, and develop him But maybe we get a more experienced striker like Dominic Calvert-Lewin in as well. I don't know. But I, to be honest, I fully trust the signing decisions of Edu and Arteta because they've proved us wrong with the magisterial signings of like Aaron Ramsdale and Odegaard and Nuno Tavares and... Not to mention the development. You know what? This isn't an Arsenal podcast. I'll give your brother a call if I want to do that. But also, I really hope that we sign Sam Maximum from Newcastle because he's wasted there. Newcastle are going to go down and I don't want any other team to have him. Anyway, I'm not going to do any of that because uh, Arsenal are are doing great. So well done, you and uh, them and us. But I think I'd like to gift a game to anybody working in the realms of freelancing that feels the need to accelerate through this time of year. Like, scientifically speaking, we humans should be slowing down in the winter, hunkering down, hibernating, and yet people seem to actively accelerate towards Christmas to try and get everything done before they get drunk for two weeks and then try and hatch a million new plans in January. I wish that us as a society would listen to our bodies during these darker months and just slow down a bit, I think it says a lot that we at some point apparently made a collective societal decision to literally change time to give us more hours of daylight in which to do our laboring. It's a little bit baffling. And the last few weeks of of working uh, felt counter behavioral, I would say, in the fact that everybody's pushing and pushing to get more and more done and fit more in when actually we should be doing the opposite. So to all the people who are feeling the need to do that, if you're getting pressure from above or below to do that, or if your own ambitions are fueling you to the point where you feel that you you can't quite stop and slow down, have a copy of Animal Crossing New Horizon. Slow the fuck down. and Channel your wanton restlessness into fulfilling the whims of a bunch of lovely quaint animals. Uh, God bless you. (laughs) Minty, what are you buying? Who's it for?
1: This is a really lovely question to think about because there's a, nice, uh, there's a nice slice of generosity to unpack. However, I think when it comes to buying a game for somebody else, I'd like to use around the selfish idea of enjoying said game with that person. I've always loved couch co-op over online play because there's that extra level of connection when you're sat next to somebody. Like, you can point at the screen, you can talk at a reasonable volume. A worm doesn't burrow into your brain from the headset, making you start spouting disgusting shit to your teammates. (laughs) I mean, winning is obviously a big part of gaming, but for me, it absolutely comes second to having fun. Yeah. So, if we try so hard and get so far, but don't win, it doesn't even matter. (laughs) Because we can both groan, smile, and start a new run. I think that's an itch that's going to be scratched down to the bone doing co-op Isaac uh, with Jonathan over the next few weeks. But having that game and playing that game together is something that we do already. So that, that we can't I can't have that one for Christmas. Sorry. We're looking to a Christmas future. So for my recipient, I'd like to nominate my sister, who, thanks to Covid, my unforgiving work schedule and her meteoric rise to the upper echelons of the West End wigs and costumes scene, means we've seen vanishingly little of each other for years, and um, it's really heartbreaking. Um, So the game that I want to buy her... Uh, in, at, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The game itself is, is immaterial. But as long as we can plop down onto a sofa and play together, laugh, scream, build each other up, uh, then Tree Adventure can have a two-player mode for all I care. <laughs> Last time we were down, her boyfriend brought over the board game Zombies, and we played it in for hours, and it was just lovely. And then, when they came to visit us, he sat out of a, a, a late-night overcooked session because, as a hospitality manager, it kind of gave him the red mist. I mean, Jackbox, Spelunky, Duck Game, Human Fall Flat, Super Crate Box. You can take your pick out of any of these couch cart games. The game is second to the proximity of the person I'm playing with. She's got three days off over Christmas when we're down, so I'm going to overcook up a storm with her, among other things, I'm sure.
2: Lovely.
0: Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Chris, how about you?
2: Well, at the moment, anyone who has read the website or has listened to the previous few episodes will know i'm on a bit of an evercade high and i would love to be able to gift a handheld or or vs home console to basically anyone i know that's into gaming at the minute indeed jonathan you will have received a shiny handheld for your your birthday present this year from me and i I do hope it serves you well (laughs) i did indeed um like consoles for me have always felt like the ultimate christmas gift Because going back in time, like the years that I got my Game Boy, like I mentioned earlier, or the year I got my Game Boy Color, or my Mega Drive, or my PS2, they're all such vivid, warm, Technicolor memories. Worms, outstanding, obviously. (laughs) But these days, because I I buy the machines I want to play as and when they release, and then, you know, I play them, it's very rare I'm going to get a console for Christmas. And yet, when I'm presented with a little box, there's always this little pang of excitement that's like, could it be a mystery machine that I, I don't know about? And, and indeed, a couple of years back, it was my brother, Tom, who did get me the Evercade for Christmas. But due to production issues, I didn't actually receive the unit until close to my birthday. <laughs> so instead, he had kindly given me a laminated voucher that let me know the machine was incoming. But that takes nothing away from how much I loved and appreciated that gift. And I think there's something truly special about exploring hardware on actual Christmas Day. Like, it's, it's difficult to explain, but there's like a family magic and nostalgia to the whole experience. Like, I, I really remember mum popping in to ask me, do you like your new Game Boy? <laughs> <laughs> or, or my dad feigning interest in the PlayStation 2 as as Tom was, like, biting the controller playing Pro Evolution <laughs> Soccer. And, you know, the Evercade brand itself really has filled a gap, I think, being an affordable, swappable cartridge-based machine. And I really, really hope that there are kids and kids at heart across the globe getting ready to open one on Christmas Day soon. So, yeah, I, I think for for anyone for which gaming is something they enjoy, I think it it would be a lovely gift. So if I had endless, boundless funds, I would have a big old sack over my shoulder and I'd go door to door.
0: (laughs) Excellent stuff. Well, I feel very, very uh, privileged that you were able to fulfil that dream (laughs) with me. So uh, thank you. And um, yeah, we'll be discussing the Evercade and the games and my activity and your activity, I'm sure, in future episodes. Yes so our morality tale is at an end and it's time to close the christmas book on this year's festive musings but we hope that you've enjoyed our thoughts we would like to take the opportunity to say thank you to everybody who has listened and supported us over the last year especially as we've undergone a big shift in how we're doing things and it's been wonderful heartening and humbling to have so many of you engage with us so positively in so many ways and we absolutely bloody christmas love you for it (laughs) We hope you have had a wonderful Christmas and Xboxing Day uh, have managed to stay safe and happy whilst also spreading the love to your family, friends and acquaintances. And we hope that you join us next week for our big old end of year special where we'll be summing up our gaming highlights of 2021, looking ahead to what 2022 can offer us gamers, and we'll be awarding the prestigious O3C Game of the Year Award to a single game if we can indeed agree (laughs) on one and we can't wait to share that all with
2: you. Good night. Farewell.